Well, open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 18, and stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to look today about the idea of forgiveness, uh, a, a really tough thing for, for many of us, and um, something that doesn't come easy sometimes. And uh, we're going to see that Jesus makes it clear that, that Christians are to forgive based on Christ's forgiveness of them, which is a simple idea. But it requires us to trust Him. It requires us to rely upon His mercy and His grace. It demands our obedience regardless of our feelings. And we're going to see here how forgiveness can restore what sin destroys. Now we're going to read a lot of verses today. We're going to read uh, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we could say amen and, and go home now because you have spoken and we have our orders. Lord, we acknowledge there are some unanswered questions, both culturally, both um, theologically, uh, relationally for us. Lord, we need your help in understanding um, even the simplicity of that we are to forgive. And Lord, even before we start to think of this even more deeply, we pray that you would give us grace to learn to forgive. We lay ourselves before you, Lord, and put ourselves at your mercy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I stand before you today as someone who is 
often somewhat forgiveness challenged. Uh, I am deeply uh, aware that as we we look at a passage like this, as as it has been recently in Matthew eighteen, it is it's tough because we are internally dealing with things that this passage deals about, deals with. If we're talking about forgiveness, and I, I'm calling it an amazing restorer, an amazing restorer. Uh, I like to um, always have a can of Restora finish at my house, in my garage, to touch up all of our furniture when it gets nicked and scratched. And at my house, that happens a lot. And, uh, you know, so when we talk about forgiveness being an amazing restorer, I think Restora finish. Because it brings things back to how it's supposed to be. Makes it look better. Makes it um, uh, whole again. Brings it back to its original intent. But it does kind of sound like an infomercial if you think about it. The Amazing Restorer. Uh, and infomercials, they, they promise what they really can't deliver most of the time. They promise more than they can deliver. But imagine that something that could make your whole life better if you just applied it. Imagine something that God has given as a gift to you that makes your whole life better and can continue to make your whole life better. That's forgiveness. The amazing restorer. Now, my forgive-o-matic doesn't always work right. Um, I am somewhat forgiveness-challenged at times. But nothing mends relationships like forgiveness. It's like spiritual superglue. But, but if only we could be so strong and we're not, we know how weak we are. We know how, how prone we are to not forgive and take revenge instead. We're more like that unforgiving servant, aren't we? Now, let's look at the context of what we've been seeing recently. We, we've seen that sometimes there needs to be confrontation in the body of Christ. There needs to be a confrontation regarding some sin that has taken place and it's because, mostly it's because God wants forgiveness to happen. It paves the way for forgiveness. And the major purpose of church discipline, you may remember some of the other words we used for it last week, but church discipline as we know it is for repentance to happen and, and for people to be reconciled and forgiven and forgiving. That's the idea behind it. So the idea is that church discipline exists so that church fellowship is healed. So next what happens in the same context is Peter asks Jesus a question based on what he's been saying. So he says, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Valid question, and he brings up a valid point regarding it. Jesus gives him an answer, then he illustrates it with a story about a gracious king and a slave who wouldn't forgive. And then Jesus makes a, a startling um, conclusion at the end. Um, let's remember the bigger context of Matthew 18 is life in Christ's covenant community. How believers are to live in community with one another. And, and Jesus had ins has insisted upon an order of, of how to do things. And so when your brother sins against you, you go first and go in private. And if he listens, if, if he repents, if he goes along with what you're saying, then everything's good. And, and then if that doesn't happen, go to the next step and, and again and again. And the reason I think that Jesus insisted on this type of an order was because he had given 
his authority to his people. He is with his church. He would be with his church. And he had, he had, he had given them assurance that he would be with them. So this is important stuff. And it, it doesn't mean that a church will always follow the will of Jesus. A community of people will always do what God wants. It doesn't mean that, that, um, that, that Jesus always acts the way the church says he does or, or determines. Um, but what it shows is how high a view of Christ has for his church because it's his church. So that's the context in which we're looking at this. And, and what happens next could seem to contradict these principles that Jesus has laid out regarding what do you do when a brother sins. Could seem to, to, um, to kind of put that all aside and say, no, I just forgive him. Um, Jesus is emphasizing the importance of forgiveness here and he teaches the brothers who sin against us should be forgiven. But there's absolutely no contradiction in the two passages. Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what happened. It doesn't mean ignoring the sin or ignoring the offense. Any expression of, of what we know of as church discipline is with a view to bringing about forgiveness and restoring the, 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 the one who sinned into fellowship not keeping them outside the fellowship. So the idea of this parable of the, of the unforgiving servant illustrates that really well. Um, the king is settling accounts with his slaves, with his servants, and he forgives this servant who owes him an unimaginable number, um, and, and it was motivated by mercy, it was motivated by compassion, and then that same servant sees someone who owes him far, far less than he'd been forgiven and he couldn't deal with it he couldn't extend that same mercy and compassion he couldn't extend the same forgiveness we know what it's like we're all the unforgiving servant aren't we now the nugget of truth in here is not hard to find it, the idea that we are we're really to express thankfulness and an almost a sense of wonder over being forgiven and that in turn will equate to us forgiving other people that's the idea um so let's look, verse 21, verse 21. Peter asks a question and makes a suggestion, actually a good one, a good suggestion. His question, again, is, is set in that context of approaching a sinning brother about their offense. Uh, Jewish rabbis taught that you should forgive three times, but not after that. So Jesus doubles the number, uh, Peter doubles the number, and probably thinking this is what Jesus would, would want, doubles the number and adds one, thinks this is the perfect number, seven times. Wow, that's, that's what do you think, Jesus? And, and Peter gets reamed for this a lot because, wow, what was Peter thinking? Well, he was thinking um, far uh, deep, deeper about it than his culture was. <laughs> um, can, can you think of a person, by the way, that maybe has sinned against you recently that you have forgiven up to seven times? We don't even do that. So that's a, a big number. Seven, seven times for the same offense. They keep coming back. What do we do? We withhold our love from someone if they do something to us once or twice or three times. We do it more the, the Jewish way. Of, well, you know, three, t- three strikes and you're out. Come on, you know, fool me once and you know how you can get that. Those words mixed up. Three times was the norm. He doubles it plus one. Uh, he's trying to fall in line with what he thinks Jesus would say. So, hey, you know, this, this looks good, right? 
Verse 22. Jesus gives a surprising answer. He says, and, and, and some translations say 70 times 7. So you would have 490. Wow. So then at 491, you're done. No, no. Now some translations say 77. That doesn't seem like very much. Really? You try it. You try forgiving 77 times. But on 78, you're out of here. Well, actually, 77 is, is, the, is the more plausible number here and, and fits the translation better. But either way, it means unlimited. Unlimited. Uh, the meaning is that the number doesn't matter. There is no number. That's the idea. Well, Jesus, should, we for, should I forgive my brother seven times? Jesus says, no. Unlimited. Unlimited. Now, D.A. Carson observes uh, that Jesus alludes to Genesis 4.24 with his wording here. In fact, in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same, same wording. And it's an interesting thing because Jesus transforms what, what sin uh, deforms, and, and Jesus here is transforming Lamech's revenge. Let me remind you what's, what's going on here. Um, Genesis chapter 4, you've got the account of Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his, his brother, and, and God's judgment falls upon him. But basically, there, there was a, a, a revenge that... Here's what Lamech said in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives... Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is, he is, he is transforming this idea of revenge into a, into a principle of, of forgiveness. God had protected Cain and said, if anybody goes after Cain, he's going to be avenged uh, sevenfold. And Lamech makes this lame uh, revenge quota. And, 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 and Jesus is, is turning that upside down and saying, uh, let's transform this into a principle of forgiveness. Unlimited forgiveness rather than unlimited revenge. Here we sit. Here we listen with oftentimes vengeful hearts right we plan out ideas of how to get back at people who have hurt us but jesus says infinite infinite not limited forgiveness is our calling it's a high calling it, it the idea is there should be no limit to our forgiveness of others because there is no limit to christ's forgiveness of us there there should be no limit to our forgiveness of others because in Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, there is no limit to his forgiveness of you. James Boyce put it this way, Christians must be limitless in forgiving others since God has been infinitely forgiving to them. There is no ceiling on forgiveness. There is no quota. There is no upper limit on forgiveness. And so then Jesus illustrates this with a story. Here's what the kingdom of heaven He's like, here's, here's how it is. Here's how, here's how the kingdom of heaven can be compared um, to a king. In this parable, we have both a beautiful picture 
of a, of a gracious king and a startling picture of an unforgiving slave. But really it begs the question, what is forgiveness? What's forgiveness? What does it mean to forgive? Forgiveness literally means to release someone, to release them. You, you forgive, you mercif- mercifully let an offense go. You release them from the debt. You, you refuse to relate to them any longer on the basis of their sin. You refuse to let their sin color your thinking about them. That's the idea of forgiveness. It's big. It's big-hearted. It, the, 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 the debt, the stain has been removed. The, the debt has been covered over. It, it no longer defines the relationship. That's forgiveness. So when we define a relationship based on what someone has done to us wrongly, we are not forgiving it's showing compassion it's extending mercy it's releasing the relational chokehold you have on them it's easing up on the headlock will you consider it a non-issue you refuse to relate to someone on the basis of their offense you you treat them as if they didn't do it that's forgiveness you remove the anger you you replace it with with compassionate love. And that's the picture we see of God, the gracious king. This is the, the picture we see of this king in this parable, this unlimited forgiveness. Verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And he wants to settle accounts with his, with his servants. Verse 24, so he began to settle. And one is brought to him who owes him 10,000 talents. The word for 10,000 is uh, miroi. It means countless, myriad. A talent was a measure of weight. It was a unit of, then it became a unit of coinage. A talent was worth 6,000 denarii uh, or about 1,000 bucks. The debt would equal to be probably about $2.5 billion today. A lot of money. A crazy amount, unpayable. Josephus tells us that taxes collected at the death of Herod the Great by his three sons were 900 talents from all the regions around Galilee and Judea and Samaria. It would be equal to, to about $220 million today. A lot, a lot of money. The man in the parable owed more than 10 times that amount. It was an unthinkable amount. It, it was an infinity kind of amount. One commentator says the indefinite plural of the highest number used in reckoning cannot be calculated and therefore it means zillions. What it points up to it points out is our unpayable debt before God. Our unpayable debt before God. Our insurmountable debt that we owe God because of our sin. There is no human being who has not piled up at an insurmountable debt of sin before God. An unpayable, we've amassed unpayable debts to God. And, and we aren't aware we're so bad. We're not aware of it. The gospel tells us we're far worse than we think we are. That is why when you believe and are saved, sin seems so much worse to you than before you were saved. Because you have a clear understanding of how bad your sin against God really is. What an offense it is. How putrid it is in His sight. 
when we don't have an idea of how how bad our sin is then we start looking at everybody else's sin matthew henry said that sinners are insolvent debtors they have no money they have no resources poor in spirit the scripture which concludes all are under sin is a statute of bankruptcy for us all and god forgives god forgives the repentant sinner we repent god forgives his kindness leads us to repentance how does god forgive us by the way how does he forgive us oh it's a little bit three strikes and you're out up to seven times maybe 77 times unlimited fully psalm 103 verse 2 says bless the lord O my soul and forget none of his benefits verse 3 because he forgives all your iniquities he forgives all your sins we come to christ by grace through faith you come to christ by grace through faith and you are fully forgiven In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, Ephesians 1. Verse 23. Since he could not pay, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had and payment to be made. Well, he's not going to get zillions for that slave and his family. He would never repay the debt. But the parable, it illustrates the magnitude of our sin debt before God, our complete inability to ever have our sin um, done away with on our own but it also shows how we should treat other people how we should treat other people because it goes on and and you've got this guy that finds his fellow servant his fellow servant and um, the Greek word there is sundulos It, it means the servant of the same master they serve the same master He's talking about believers who, who follow Christ and, 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 and they, they're going to sin against each other. He's already outlined how you take care of that, what you do about that. Follow these steps humbly, dependently, lovingly, kindly. But here's this guy that goes out and he won't go out of his way even a bit. So he finds a a friend, fellow servant, and he owes him the equivalent of maybe $4,000. By the way, not insignificant. What was owed was about, at the, in that day, about 100 days wages. It wasn't a small debt. It, it points out the fact that when someone sins against us, when they really sin, not when we imagine that they did something wrong, not when we have, oh, I, we have a difference of opinion, so they're sinning, not when I have an opinion and theirs is the, the opposite, but when someone really sins against us, it's a real offense it hurts it costs us it takes a toll on us so his 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 fellow servant owed the equivalent of 100 days wages maybe about about four thousand dollars or or up to ten thousand dollars it's unclear but it's it's a lot of money in for for us but nothing compared to what he'd been forgiven Verse 31, his friends hear about it and they're grieved over it. Notice they don't get angry. They get, they get sad. They're, they're upset. And, and it's interesting what they did. They went in and told the king. 
it's like they were following the the steps for church discipline that we just saw last week they weren't angry they were sad why were they sad because the one who will not forgive puts fellowship in jeopardy the one who will not forgive puts themselves in jeopardy works against restoring unity works against their own life and if the friends had not reported it they would have been the most unloving of friends they would have been turning a blind eye pretending that it didn't happen pretending that everything was all right being ultimately unloving practicing a false warped love that is not really love as one put it an undisciplining christian community is an unloving community see an an ultimately unloving community will not tell you the truth about yourself the gospel tells us the truth about ourselves the gospel tells us how bad our sin really is the gospel tells us how great god's forgiveness really is it's interesting that the king dismissed the debt but not the responsibility of the servant servants of christ are to act like it forgive as they've been forgiven colossians chapter 3 verse 12 Paul says put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassion kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Ephesians 4 speaks similarly. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you forgives you fully he wants us to forgive fully Frederick Dale Bruner says that this parable is trying to teach us to be amazed by grace and so to be different people 77ers be a 77er easier said than done the heavy lifting of the Christian life is, is, is done in the arena of forgiveness done in the trenches of our hearts you have your feelings hurt you had a disagreement was there sin only God knows but if there has been sin and by the way let me just say some of us are too sensitive myself included some of us are way too sensitive and we think something is a sin when it's just a difference of opinion just a difference of wording just a difference of seeing things But if there has been sin, you're to forgive. We're to be understanding with each other, not parsing out each other's sentences all the time. See, Jesus says something in verse 35 that shocks us. Jesus says something in 35 that we would like to explain away, and many have, and many do. See, Jesus says in verse 35, 
after he's told the story of how the, the, the master delivers the unforgiving slave to the jailers, that means literally torturers, until he should pay all his debt, that means he'll be in there forever. Then Jesus says, so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. And the you there is in the plural. The church has, an, has a responsibility. Everyone in the church, everyone in the, in the true church of Jesus Christ has a responsibility. Uh, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We can't wiggle out of that. We can't say, I forgive you and then, and then hate them in our hearts. Jesus pierces all the way to the heart. The Holy Spirit puts a, puts a laser beam all the way to the heart. The, the Word of God exposes the heart. So we've got to forgive our brother from our heart. So if you won't forgive, you put yourself in a really tough situation. There are, there are consequences for unforgiveness. There is God's displeasure over our misunderstanding His Word and, and disobeying His Word. God's discipline due to our refusal to obey Him. There's consequences. God's judgment due to hardness of heart. Now there'll be many objections. There are many objections to this verse. First one would be, well, hey, um, sounds like work salvation to me. We're not under law, but under grace. And so, hey, this isn't for us. And by the way, there's a strong note of judgment here. So some are going to dismiss these words and say, you know what? It's an exaggeration. It really won't happen. He didn't mean it. Problem with that is Jesus means everything he says. So we got to wrestle with it. A lot of texts we got to wrestle with in the Bible. We got to wrestle with this one. God's going to win, by the way, but we got to wrestle with it. We got to wrestle with this text. We got to figure out what it means. Because it means something. We can't just explain it away. Your kids say, well, you know, uh, mom told me to come in uh, but, uh, and tell us to the friends, but she doesn't mean it yet. See, I got to wait till the fourth time she says it. Well, Jesus means it the first time he says it. We're supposed to forgive. So what does this mean? It's not an exaggeration. It really will happen. Other people will object and say it doesn't apply to us. This was written to Jews under the law. And we're under grace and so we're exempt. No. Jesus is talking about what his church would be like. He's talking about his church. So there's an option three. There's another option. There's another door to go to. It's this. Receive it. Receive the verse and understand what he meant. Think of it this way. When you come to faith in Christ, you're justified by faith, not by works. But faith will show itself in works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 makes that clear. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. We can't boast about that. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. James 2 makes it really clear. Faith without works is dead. If you say you got the root of faith, then the fruit of the Spirit will grow. Proof of salvation is a changed heart and life. Jesus is saying, in, in, in this instance, proof of salvation is being able to forgive. You can't forgive, you might not be saved. If we do not forgive, we're not acting like Christians. A Christian who's received God's grace, who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, forgives. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the merciful and unblessed are the unmerciful is the opposite of that i like the way uh, 
Bruner puts it, uh, he says, Paul, the doctor of grace, taught both a present justification by faith and a future judgment by works. He saw no contradiction between the two because he fully expected persons who experienced justification to be so altered that they could stand with good conscience before judgment. Some people will say, well, God is unjust to say what he said here. Well, he is just. The parable was told by a man who took all of our sin on himself at the cross. The parable was told by a man who loves people enough to die for them. The parable is told by a man who preaches the gospel of unfathomable love. He is not cruel, he is kind. Augustine put it this way, this is not cruelty. On no account let that surgeon's treatment be called cruelty. Cruel he is against the wounded part that the patient may be cured. For if the wound be softly dealt with, the man is lost. Would you call a surgeon cruel for cutting cancer out? See, the unforgiving servant here lacked not only an appreciation of the king's forgiveness in the past, but lacked an appropriate fear of his judgment in the future. The unforgiving judges himself incapable of understanding the nature of forgiveness as well as the certainty of judgment. See, true saving faith increases humble fear of God. The way we could put it. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, There is forgiveness with you, O Lord, that you may be feared. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. True saving faith increases humble fear of God so that we are then forgiving as we have been forgiven. We've received forgiveness so we become forgiving people. That's the idea. The idea is that we have a full security before God in Christ and a responsible fear before God in Christ. Because here's what we're doing as we live in Christ. Christians live between their justification at the cross and their judgment at the chair. The judgment seat of Christ. Parable, this parable, by the way, is like a little Sermon on the Mount in and of itself. It will prevent misinterpreting grace. It'll, it'll prevent cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer put it. But there may still be an objection. There may still be an objection in your heart. And you're going to base it on experience. Maybe an experience that no one else knows. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been lied to or cheated or or mistreated in some way and no one knows except you and God and, and you say, but I can't forgive that person. I just can't. The loving answer is I understand, but you're not acting like a Christian. But the objection comes again. But you don't understand what they did. The loving answer is, I understand, but you don't understand how sinful your sin is. And you don't understand how much you've been forgiven in Christ. Okay, so how do you go about forgiving the unforgivable? It's really simple. And really, really hard. But the first thing is, you've got to receive God's grace. You've got to receive God. You've got to make sure you're saved. You've got to make sure you have received the grace of God in Christ. You've got to make sure that you have truly been forgiven. 
2 Corinthians 6 1 says, Don't receive the grace of God in vain. And the second thing you need to do is acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge what it was that was done against you. This is what it was. Speak it out before God. And then number three, lay down your rights to take vengeance on the person because of that sin. You see, if you're in Christ, you have no right to take revenge. None at all. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, love hardly notices an offense. Well, now we're dealing with real life. Well, now we're dealing with where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And the last part is this. If the person asks forgiveness, forgive them. And if they don't, forgive anyway. Just between you and God. If they ask forgiveness, Jesus says we need to forgive. And it's based on his forgiveness of us. And we can't ask for what we're unwilling to give. And so we're, we've got to forgive. But if the, the, if, the, if the request never comes, if the person never realizes, if the person never repents, you've got to forgive. Anyway. You're only holding yourself captive. And by the way, when you forgive... It shows you have a pulse spiritually. Forgiveness can be like a spiritual defibrillator for our hearts. Shocks our hearts back into rhythm. Remember that at the cross, Jesus was unjustly accused and condemned. That Jesus took all of our sin that we might receive the pardon of forgiveness in life. You see, forgiveness looks back and heals the past. That's what it does. And sometimes when you forgive, you still can't trust a person but trust looks towards the future and it takes time to rebuild but forgiveness is an amazing restorer revenge is anti-forgiveness revenge is gouging out somebody's eyes revenge is gouging their tires or keying their car forgiveness is like taking a magic eraser to the mark that was made forgiveness is like buying someone the new car forgiveness is is like a band-aid with neosporin on it. It heals. Revenge is like putting salt in a wound. By the way, Restore Finish, when I use it, it it's an all-in-one uh, product. It contains several helpful things to make things right. Forgiveness contains several helpful things to make things right. Mercy and grace and compassion and love. And with that, we can forgive from the bottom of our hearts. So though gone will be the self-justifying, I will forgive, but I'll never forget. Or the hateful, I will love him, but I don't have to like him. See, Jesus expects heart change in relationships. That's what he expects. And he enables it. And he empowers for it. We can't do it humanly. But God can do it in and through us supernaturally. Corey Ten Boom, who spoke to Jews of forgiving their German torturers said this once it was in a church in Munich that I saw him a balding heavy set man in a gray overcoat a brown felt hat clutched between his hands people were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear it was 1947 
And I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I'd like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. He came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp between the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Raymond Brook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. And for a moment, a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. 
May God give us grace to keep learning to forgive. Let's pray. Lord God, we can only give what's been given to us by you. And we do believe that we have been in Christ restored amazingly and supernaturally. And so, Lord, we pray. Lord, we pray with dependent hearts, with aching hearts, with wounded hearts even, that you would give us grace to forgive.